Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. In this episode, I got a chance to speak with Sean McCallum, an amazing writer, loves rad as fuck music, total textual healer, Canadian, cool guy all around. Sean is, as I already said, a Canadian writer who just wrote a fantastic novel called The Recalcitrant Stuff of Life, which is available now through Outcast Press. I know the Canadian aspect that has been mentioned now at least two times in his bio seems a bit random and overkill for me to mention, but it's something that actually comes up more than once in this insanely fun episode. We talk about obscure Canadian bands, overrated ones, Canadian accents, and that might actually be all the Canadian stuff or not. I guess you'll just have to listen to find out. We go far beyond the Canadian thing, don't worry, and into uncharted territory like dumpster diving, getting married in different countries, and the wildest things we've done at concerts. Stick around for all those oddities and my favorite, Sean giving a reading from his book at the end of the episode. This is Mallory Smart. I hope you enjoy the show. Awesome to talk to you. I've listened to so many of your podcasts, so this is uh, going to be pretty cool. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is very exciting. You're Chicago, right? Yeah. I was yeah. just about to say, you're Canada, right? I am, yeah, just outside Toronto. Yeah, I don't know. I'm always disappointed when I talk to Canadians. This is like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bar is low. I like that. Oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> keeping this aspect in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I shouldn't say anything about any of the Canadians you've interviewed and why you may have been disappointed. You know, it's just that you guys never have the accent that we're taught that you guys have. But then again, I don't have a Chicago accent, so I guess, you know, we're all good. Yeah, that's, you don't hear the about and, uh, (laughs) house and all that stuff that you're supposed to hear from Canadians. See, when you say that, you sound more like you're in, uh, mayor of Easttown, like you're in Pennsylvania. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Just like, oh, you're in the hick area where you're addicted to opiates. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. See, that would be so fun. Like, I just kind of want you to go off on a really long bender about, like, everybody's a suspect. Everybody had a reason to kill this random girl. (laughs) Right. I think it'd be a little out of my depth. I've not watched uh, Well, I've seen the first couple of episodes of that. My wife watched it uh, (laughs) in its totality. I didn't get through it, though. You know, it really is like... uh, polarizing show i mean it's one of those things that like if i love something i immediately think it's the greatest thing in the world and what the fuck is that like why is everybody not finishing it yeah you don't like it what's wrong with you yeah basically yeah yeah but then again i hate it when people do that to me too like with game of thrones and shit or breaking bad although people finally got me i'm breaking bad but like the more you try and force something on me the more i'm just gonna be like fuck you i'm not i'm not gonna do it all right. Well, here's the demarcation point between us. Uh, what are your thoughts on Succession? Haven't watched it. Oh, okay. Well, I, w- I won't force you into it, though. But it's it's pretty much the best show of, uh, of all time. Oh, no. I, I have to correct you. Mad Men is the greatest show of all time. Well, Mad Men's pretty good. Yeah, it's, that's, that's a good call. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, I could go off on the longest talk about Mad Men. I actually have made friendships based off of a love of Mad Men. <laughs> Nice. There you go. I mean, there's, there's, there's friendships exist on lesser grounds. Yeah, yeah. Like just hanging out at a donut shop and being like, God, Don Draper. And someone else is like, Don Draper? Hell yeah. <laughs> Come sit with me. 
or yes, definitely. Or then they're like, and also, do you like David Lynch? And I'm just like, fuck yes. And it's like, are we best friends now? <laughs> yes. That's, That's all you need. Yeah. You know, you got to do your thing. But I have been really digging your playlist. I have the dorkiest thing I do, or playlists, plural. And I don't know if this is a writer thing or a me thing or whatever the fuck, but at every night I do this thing called music time. My husband, I mean, not husband, god damn, that scared the hell out of me to say that word. <laughs> We're engaged, whatever. Yeah, fiance, see, if husband's easier to say than fiance, I would imagine. You know, it, it has a little bit more punch to yeah. it. It's just yeah. like, that's my husband. If I were to say it to him, though, like, he would just break out into sweat. <laughs> <laughs> right. That sounds like he's ready. But, shit, I totally forgot where... Oh, I oh, kick him time. off. Yeah, I kick him out of the apartment or have him, like, go to the bathroom for, like, an hour. And I just do music time. And I was just doing music time to your playlists. You have nice. good taste. I think I'll, it's really oh, funny because Spotify actually recommends... Uh, playlist after your thing and for your Canadian one the best of rock 1996 showed up and something called (laughs) alt country and cranked up yes alt country that's that's a genre that I love that uh, not a lot of people listen to so that's good to hear see you're just breaking down barriers yeah well so I have to ask you that that Canadian playlist I mean I put 10 artists on there that, like, my thought was, I mean, I could fill it with Drake and The Weeknd and Justin Bieber, but you guys already know that stuff. Did you know some, any, all of all of the artists that were listed there? Not all of them. No. I mean, I think you should definitely, like, run us down, you know, tell us the playlist, because there's only 10. <laughs> the 10, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so, I mean, as, as I was sort of prepping, doing my homework for... Uh, for this podcast, because obviously a lot of pressure to be talking about Canadian music. I was thinking, like, if I wanted to put, I mean, I could put together a playlist of 300 songs, but nobody's going to listen to it. So I wanted to sort of render it down to 10 essential Canadian tracks. And my uh, my thinking was, I mean, I think they needed to be 10 influential songs. So songs that sort of impacted the artists that everybody's probably heard of. I mean, um, I'm dissing you because there's no Tegan and Sarah or Avril Lavigne. <laughs> Yeah, but you guys all—you already know Avril Lavigne and Tegan and Sarah. That's why. So that was the second bit of criteria. Was it had to be sort of not an obscure artist, but someone who's not a household name, you know? So someone you may not have heard of before. So and then they had to be songs I love, and then they had to be songs that were available on Spotify. There was a few that were not on Spotify. So that was the criteria for the <laughs> sort of ten essential tracks. You need to do two playlists now, like the like overrated bands, and then the ones we never heard of. Yeah, it's fun. Like, I, I travel a lot, and, you know, my, my wife's from Peru, and I go down there. And I mean, Justin Bieber's come a long way. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's pretty decent now, but 12 years ago when he was baby, 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 it was, you know, you're traveling around South America, and they're like, oh, you're from Canada, Justin Bieber. And it's like, oh, no, please kill me. You want to, um, like, be killed. I was seeing that it took, like, four people to write that song. <laughs> it's a pretty profound depth of those lyrics, no doubt. I know. It's just like, can you just start keeping, like, saying, baby, baby, oh my? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then we've got many, many crimes against music, you know, Celine Dion. And I mean, every country's got their, their sins that they're guilty of. So I'm just going to say, no, though, no exception. like, anybody who lived throughout 1997, the Titanic era, we forgive you. Celine Dion yeah. did really good. <laughs> right. yeah, she, she gave did. us our anthem. That's right. That's right. My 
yeah, my my sister was obsessed with that movie and that song. So I uh, I feel you. But uh, anyway, yeah. So I just I put together this, again ten songs and they were chronologically. Uh, we did Maestro Fresh Wes, um, which was he he did a song called Let Your Backbone Slide in I want to say it was 1989 and it was just this massive hit in Canada like the first real hip hop hit in Canada um and I don't know is that a song that you were familiar with at all No that's why I was actually really digging on it I mean because when I do music time I usually keep kind of doing like repeat to what the like the familiar is but like I was really able to get into this cuz I was like damn like I'm kind of zenning out on the shit that I've never heard of <laughs> Yeah that song is an absolute banger and, and obviously most of your listeners are not uh, Canadian, so they probably haven't heard it. So check out that track. Like, I honestly, I feel like there's no Drake. There is no The Weeknd without Maestro Fresh Wes in 1989. That song, I, I was 11 years old when it came out, and it was just everywhere. And it's, it, it still, it stands the test of time. It's, uh, it's a great track. I think we've had one other Canadian person on here as I just start looking. <laughs> yeah, you C.E. Hoffman, right? Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, it's her. Yeah, she's awesome. yeah. Um, I saw so that she great. blurbed your book too. She did, yeah. That's so. I've never met her in person, but obviously through the the magic of Twitter and social media, yeah, we've sort of connected that way. So she's great. Canadians um, stick together. We really do. You know, we have to. Um, Tim Hortons, <laughs> hockey. That's it. <laughs> We're good. Oh dear uh, lord! <laughs> it's my dream to see a Tim Hortons. I mean, really? You know, it's my every time I travel out of the country and you know everywhere in the United States. That is the first thing I look for. I'm just like, I need to try each like famous coffee shop or an obscure indie shop. Yeah. I mean, I, I might have to give up my Canadian citizenship for this. But I mean, Tim, Tim Horn's coffee, it's not great. It's, you know, it's like a Canadian Dun- Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, I but vibe it then. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I have my buddy runs a couple of Tim Hortons and uh, he got me on the thing where you order a coffee and you have to put a shot of espresso in it. So that's how, when I go to Tim Hortons, I get it that way. And then it's, it's nice and strong. It's good. So that's, that's how you rock, rock with a red eye. Yeah. I was about to say, that's what it's called. I've tried that before. Yeah. That just, yeah. it goes with the cranked up playlist. Then. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the next, so the next track I had on that list was uh, a great Canadian band called Sloan. You've probably heard of mm-hmm. um, a song called underwhelmed, which I absolutely love. And, you have uh, writers on your podcast, so that's like the most grammatically correct song uh, I think in existence. So I love that one. And Sloan, to me, they're just they're a great bridge between you know like tragically hip and Brian Adams and Neil Young, and then sort of bands that that came after them like Broken Social Scene and the Arkells and the Rural Alberta Advantage. So I wanted to have them in there, and that's just such a great track. I like how you totally were like writers grammatically correct. I don't think everyone, anyone's given me that reason, so you stand <laughs> apart. <laughs> nice. Well, that's, I've been trying to think of what are the top five you know, songs about grammar, um, and that's right near the top of the list. So that's, that'll be another playlist we'll put together. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then I had another song. Uh, the third song was by a band called Treble Charger, which I absolutely love. Um, they're like an early pop punk Canadian darling, um, totally underrated, lost to time. But uh, I feel like, you know, Avril Lavigne probably came from that treble charger uh, world. You know, some 41, uh, you know, forgive us, Headley, <laughs> Simple Plan, bands like that sort of came from that Canadian pop punk uh, era. And I just love that track. So that that one obviously had to get on the list. Mm hmm. 
So I don't. Did you? Do you were you familiar with Treble Charger? Um, I, I would say that I think like I knew a song or two. Some of those things, it's like you don't know who the band is, and then yeah, you hear yeah. the song. It's actually really disgusting because I actually have a lot of people who listen to like Rebel Girl, and they're like, "Oh, that's a song. I like that." And it's like Bikini Kill, and they're like, "Oh, okay, I didn't know that." <laughs> yeah, yeah. They know the song, but not the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then I put a, a song by an artist that uh, I'm sure not a lot of people know called Hayden. Um, he's based out of Toronto. It's a song called Bad As They Seem. And, and that was like the, I think, the beginning of the great tradition of Canadian grunge, alt-country singer-songwriters. And I just feel like people like Kathleen Edwards and Jason Collette, Dallas Green, Justin Rutledge, Leslie Feist, they sort of were born out of that um, that grunge alt country singer songwriter tradition. So, um, and it's just such a great track. And I, uh, I am 43 years old and he talks about living at home when he's 43. So that one, that one really hits home for me for the record. I do have a, a dwelling of my own, but that one is just such a great line. I was say you're not, you're not quite a millennial, so you're good. No, no. I think I'm, I think I'm technically Gen X. Um, and then my wife is, uh, she's a little bit younger than me. She's the millennial. And, uh, so she's the, she's certainly the one who hooked me up with the headphones for this, uh, <laughs> for this podcast. You're at the like, cutoff point, I guess. Cause I, last, um, um, writer is only one year younger than you. And they're like, I'm a millennial. And I was like, all right, if you insist. Oh, I- I do not identify as a millennial. No, no I'm definitely, definitely Gen Xer. See, I'm so. smack dab in the middle. I'm actually your prototypical like millennial. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, millennials are great. We, we get love millennials. A bad rap, but you know what? Obviously not, because like Gen X is trying to be like we're Xennials and Gen Z are like <laughs> we're Zennials, and it's like, see, you're just jealous <laughs> nice. that we have a name and you guys only have letters. Yeah. I uh, I was gonna say you guys are gonna be running the world soon, but I think you pretty well are right now. So you know we gotta we gotta treat you guys with respect. I would say we're less running the world and more trying to like fuck it up. Oh, I was gonna say fix it. I I would say like first you gotta break it, then you gotta fix it. Yeah, that's true. You know, in America we're a little bit more pessimistic. I don't know <laughs> how it's like in Canada. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that pessimism. And I mean, you're gotta, right, like, by us. So I'm sure you guys could be like, oh, shit, the Americans might start, like, trying to migrate here. No, no, you guys, you have the weather. I mean, Chicago and Toronto, we've got the same weather. But mm-hmm. I'm about as far south as you can go in Canada. And uh, it was, like, minus 13 this morning here. So, you know, the southern tip of Canada, uh, it'd be nice to be able to, if we lived in the U.S., to head down to Florida or California for uh, for the cold months. So I'm not too worried about people coming up here. They wouldn't be able to handle the winters. Yeah. I, I'd still like to check it out. I, I feel like Canada, it's weird. I have my passport. I try to check out as many countries as I can, but I've just never had much interest. In coming to Canada? You know what it is? I just feel like your culture is so close to ours. It is, yeah. I mean, I feel like... I sort of half joke around when, when I say um, it's it, you feel more as if you're going to a foreign country when you go to Quebec than you do going into the U.S. For someone from from Ontario, from Toronto. I mean, we are largely there. Are, there are some subtle differences in the culture, obviously, but same language, same, you know, just about everything. But you go into Quebec and you know, I'm always sort of frantically looking for my passport when I cross over the provincial border there because it's a whole different world, different language, different way that people um, sort of interpret the world and. 
so yeah, if you want to go somewhere in Canada, yeah, check out Montreal or Quebec City for sure. I'd have to say right now, um, Twitter is totally stalking me because Drake and Avril Lavigne are trending right now. Uh, uh oh, <laughs> are they okay? Uh, I think they're fine. Okay, good. <laughs> I think probably Avril Lavigne is probably trending because she's going to do that one uh, music festival that's happening here. That when we were young. Oh yeah, yeah, Avril comeback. I like it. She. Oh my goodness, who was she married to? Was she married to the guy from Nickelback? I don't know, but that feels like such an affront to nature. Uh, I know. Uh, another crime against uh, the music world is Nickelback, but, you know. It's one of those things, um, like, we like to hate it, but, like, it's like a hate binge. We're all secretly yeah. listening to them, but if you when ask no one's us. around. Yeah. yeah. If a car, a car drives by playing Nickelback, you're, you're nodding. Yeah. You're going with it. I would just uh, roll up my windows and just be like... <laughs> <laughs> right. I swear to God, this isn't happening. Be like, what What channel? It, sorry, that just got yeah. mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, okay, I should go on with this playlist, sorry. Uh, the fifth one I have was uh, Northern Touch, which is like the first, um, you know, post-Maestro Fresh West hip-hop single. I mean, hip-hop was just a non-entity in Canada for close to a decade. So that, you know, everyone talks about how that song made hip-hop commercially viable in Canada, and it... It led to a few sort of hip-hop radio stations in Toronto, and I feel like that just had a massive influence on, you know, everyone we, we know and love today. So that's a song called Northern Touch by Rascals and Cardinal Fischel and that whole group. So I don't know. Did, did you know that one? No, I did not know that. I, I didn't really think of hip-hop when I think of Canada. I also think it's very, like, uh, an American thing because I think it's reactionary to the culture that we have. Yeah. Which is yeah, a fucked a up culture, point. but yeah. <laughs> no, don't say that. There is a good documentary though on Netflix that really shows like the different eras of hip hop and it's how like it's evolved. I would love to see like how it is in other countries though. Yeah, it's um, it's. I mean, I'm certainly not the biggest hip hop connoisseur. I, I do, I do love it, but yeah, it's it's it is different. I mean, I think of the the hip hop artists that that are, have made it in Canada, and they're you know predominantly you know positive messages and it's not necessarily you know lashing out against anything or um so that there is that sort of subtle difference i think in in the hip-hop we get up here i think that's hip-hop in general these days it's definitely more yeah. of a not upbeat but like you know it's not like gangster rap or anything so yeah yeah i think you're right and that i think that that leads nicely to the sixth song i had which is by a guy called shad which is short for Shadrach Abango, who's this phenomenal lyricist and super positive guy. And I don't think he has any swearing in his songs, but, um, and I would have put on some of his earlier stuff, but it's not on, um, it's not on Spotify. So I, I had that song called brother and it's just super positive message. And again, I feel like, you know, we, we don't necessarily have Drake in the weekend if we don't have Shad. So it just sort of, it's just this, um, chronology of, of hip hop in Canada. And then, uh, and then I just finish off with four songs that are sort of like the you know fully formed Canadian music scene representative that of, of that, and that would be um, a, a band called City and Color with Gord Downey, who's the lead singer from the Tragically Hip. A song called Sleeping Sickness, which is just a great track. Um, and then Japan Droids, who I'm sure you know, and um, with a song called Younger Us. Um, which I just, I, Japan droids are phenomenal. And, you know, every time I see them, I'm just astounded that 
two people can make that much noise. I mean, they're just, <laughs> just phenomenal. Uh, and then Cold Specs with a song called Blank Maps, which is, in my mind, one of the most beautiful songs ever written. And I don't know if people know it, but it's just phenomenal. And actually, the my book, that was sort of the working title of it, was Blank Maps before I changed it. So I had to, had to throw that one in there. Uh, yeah, listen to Cold Specs. She is a phenomenal talent and just a beautiful songwriter. So um, check her out. Um, and then the last one I have is a band called the Arkells with a song called Leather Jacket, which is just such a great rock anthemic song. And I try to sing that one out loud without uh, having my voice crack because it's uh, sort of emotional, but it's such a great track. So uh, the Arkells, I'm sure you guys have all heard of. They're, they're such a great band from down the street from where I live here. So I had to had to slip them in there. You know, I'm actually curious because I get a lot of different uh, definitions when it comes to like uh, anthemic songs and everything. How would you describe it? Oh, well, that's a big question. Um, I'll well, ask you the I, big I, questions. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I come from the like the the school of uh, like Bruce, all things Bruce Springsteen. So, you know, when I think of an album like Born to Run and and, and, and a song like that, I think it's just sort of. Um, a song that you can't help but belt out and, uh, you know, makes you feel good and probably gets you through some hard times. So I, I think that would, I would be considered a, a, an anthemic type of song and it's probably going to be pretty, pretty uptempo as well. What would you say, Mr. Gen Xer? Um, <laughs> you know, cause I asked <laughs> oh on God. Twitter. Officially the old guy. <laughs> oh no, no, no. You're actually not the oldest person. I've actually had some baby boomers on here. Oh, Nice. Nice. Baby boomers that I didn't even realize were baby boomers, like the kind of people yeah, you yeah. talk to. And it's like, I think you're 30. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. They look at me and they're like, no, no, you think that that's what 30 looks like. But, <laughs> but millennials are big anthemic song. I didn't know this was uh, Mr. Brightside by the Killers. The one that Oof. like it's the belt out yeah. song and people yeah, can't yeah. help but sing it. So what's your generation song? My gel, my th- <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. Uh, my generation's song, it so man, th- it, being from Canada, I'll, I'll just tell you a story. So, the Tragically Hip is a band, I'm sure you know, they're just absolutely massive in Canada and um, underappreciated, I think, everywhere else in the world. And uh, the lead singer, Gord Downey, passed away a few years ago from cancer. It was sort of a, it was a huge deal up here. Anyway, I remember they did um, a tour of like eight cities in Canada when he knew he, you know, he only had a couple months left to live. Um, but they sort of pulled it together for one last tour and did these amazing shows. And they finished off uh, with a show in, Tur- no, in Kingston. Sorry, it was the last night. And they broadcast it on TV, on the, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, sort of the, the public TV station. Um, and I was down in Cleveland at the time with a bunch of buddies. We had done like a, a guy's road trip and we were catching a, a, a Jays game in Cleveland that Saturday night. So there's probably, I don't know, 6,000 Canadians at this baseball game because Toronto was playing and everyone was sort of singing tragically hip songs in, in the seats. And then we sort of spilled out after the game onto East fourth street, which is a street full of bars in Cleveland. And, um, we stumbled into this basement bar and it was, I think it was a house of blues and it was just full of people in, in Jay's gear. So it was all Canadians and the band was playing. And this, I say kid, he was probably 22, just sort of stepped up to the mic and, and or to the band and said, Hey, um, this is sort of a big night for all the Canadians. Do you mind if I, if I do a song? And 
They said, yeah, man, take it away. So I handed him his guitar and he played this song called Wheat Kings, which is a slow acoustic song. And the entire bar was singing along to this song called Wheat Kings. And I was just like, oh, my God, like this is <laughs> this is sort of like the unofficial Canadian anthem. And it's it's certainly it's not anthemic in that sense where it's not born to run and it's not, um, yeah, it's not bombastic, you know, but yeah, it's not at all. It is subtle and it's heartbreaking, but it is, it is sort of the de facto Canadian anthem. So that's, uh, for Canadians anyway, of, of my, uh, of my age, that, that might be it. Wheat Kings by, uh, the tragically hit. I have to say something that might depress the ever living fuck out of you in this quick thing. I actually looked it up. And, you know, on Google, how it says people also ask, ask um, what music do Canadians listen to is like the first oh, thing. tragically hip, number one. And also, what are Canadians known for? It was the tragically hip? Yeah. Wow, I mean, there's worse things to be known for. I'll take that. <laughs> like, that shit's hilarious. I was like, what? Okay. Yeah. But, and that's, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the tragically hip. You're pretty well, well listened to. It would be so sad if I had this podcast if I didn't know music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, your idea, your idea for this podcast is like I'm, I'm so jealous I didn't think of it. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's the absolute center of my Venn diagram. It's like music and, and books. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not just the center of everything you write. It inspires what you're about to write. It gets you in the mood. You're just jumping out into it. And my favorite part is then creating almost like a playlist that works with your writing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, I don't want to take over the interview for you, but you had mentioned in one of your podcasts that you did a book with a playlist. Um, good grief. I had it written down. Yeah. 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 Good grief. Um, That's actually really Tell cool. me about that. Um, yeah. The writer, Nick Gregorio. Shouts out to him, by the way. He just had a baby, so that's cool. Nice. Is that his first? Yeah. See, you're not the oldest person here. He's (laughs) he's Gen X. Yeah. But um, we really wanted to do that because music is mentioned so much in the book. And also, he used to be in a punk rock band, and he was just like, I want to figure this out. And I thought doing a QR code at the end um, that attaches to a playlist on Spotify would be perfect. Yeah. I wish a lot more other writers would do that, but instead they just kind of like shout it out on Twitter and be like, listen to this. I'm just like, people are less likely do it in the book. Yeah. And so, cause my, you know, my, my book, um, the recalcitrance of life that, that has a playlist and I hadn't heard of it before, but when I started shopping the manuscript around a little bit, I sort of referenced that in the query letter that, Hey, there's this Spotify playlist, check it out. And then um, the publisher, Outcast Press, when when we signed the deal and started working with her editor, um, she said, hey, you should do this QR code. We can link right to it. We'll list the the playlist um, in like the table of contents. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is just the coolest thing I've ever heard of. I didn't know that was possible (laughs) Um, because I remember years ago thinking because, you know, when I get into a, a book or an author, I just I always want more. Like I read the book and then I want to know, okay, where did, what was the inspiration for this? And, you know, uh, you go to Paris and you go hang out at all the places Ernest Hemingway used to (laughs) drink at, you know, and and follow in the footsteps of James Joyce. I always want more. So, you know, years ago, I was like, wouldn't it be great if a hardcover book that had like a CD (laughs) attached to the back of it, you could listen to all the songs. Uh, And now we live in this, in this, 
Yeah. And now we live in this world where it's like you can just take your phone and scan this thing and you get the whole playlist there. So when uh, Paige Johnson, who's the editor uh, that we were working with at Outcast, said, hey, this is a possibility, I was like, this is just the greatest idea I've ever heard of. Um, and it's so funny, my dad's like, you should trademark that. You should, <laughs> you have to monetize that. I'm like, uh, I don't think that's something you can do. And uh, I don't really feel comfortable even going down that road. <laughs> don't you like I'm glad to hear someone beat me to it. That, that generation just kind of like... Oh, you could do anything with technology. Definitely trademark it or make yourself the genius <laughs> right. who knows everything about it. Just own it. Possess everything. Yeah. It's like, no, I want everybody to do that. I don't want it to be only me. You know? I mean, I helped my mom with her iPhone and she was just like, you should work for Apple. You'd be so great. And I'm just <laughs> like, no, I just know how to use the phone. That's it. Yeah. That's right. You're good. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, you're miles ahead of everyone else. My, my kids are 10 and eight and they show me things on my phone. Again, this is just, I'm dating myself, but they do things on my phone and I'm just like, Oh my God, where, where did you <laughs> learn that? You're a sorcerer. Oh damn. They're going to get into the metaverse then watch on oh, out. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Today they asked me, they're like, Hey, can we, um, can we get a, an account on discord? Which is oh, like yeah, the I know that one. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I want you talking to a bunch of random people, but I mean, anyway, come on. Didn't you guys have like a Yahoo chat and aim and everything? I mean, that was basically our generation's version. I don't yeah. know if Gen X had that. No, we didn't. I mean, I this again, you want to talk about dating yourself. The first time I ever sent an email uh, was in between my third and fourth year of university. <laughs> it's the first time I hit send on an email. So I definitely didn't grow up with, uh, you know, ICQ or anything like that. I'm drinking bubbly right now and you almost made me do a spit take. <laughs> nice. Just be like, what? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, you're getting more technologically familiar with shit, though, um, that, like, you know what a QR code is and, like, you mm-hmm. actually know what Discord is and means and shit. I know about yeah. it more through NFTs. I'm not going to get into that too much, though, because I know it confuses the shit out of everybody. Or yeah, Myself included. Yeah, that's like this split. It either confuses the shit out of everybody or they massively hate it. So Yeah, right. You get, like, a lot of pushback. And I just decided I'm just Switzerland. In that, yeah, yeah, sit back and watch it all unfold. Oh yeah, I actually love some people actually hate on it, and then I find that they actually have alter egos and they are doing the NFTs. Oh, nice! I know. I'm just like, <laughs> like I know who you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I love that. Yeah, well, even with Spotify, like uh, my wife got us a Spotify account years ago, and um, I didn't know how to use it. <laughs> like it's. The most simple technology probably ever created and the most brilliant, but I didn't know how to use it. I just thought like you would type in like, I don't know, Tom Waits and it pulled up the five songs and I'm like, well, why would I want this? There's only five songs. And she's like, no, no, you can find any song and then you can make playlists. And I'm like, oh, because <laughs> like I was like the Picasso of burning CDs and uh, to f- to find out you could make playlists on Spotify and like share them. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is probably one of the five greatest inventions of all time. So Ooh, what was I just, your I, it took me a CD year to figure thing? out how to use it. What was your like pirating method? Are, are you the Napster generation? Uh, I should have been, but I was just so technologically incompetent that I wasn't. I was, this is going to sound so lame. Uh, I was like, hey, buy all the CDs, like with your Columbia House account, um, and then burn the CDs to your hard drive and then create, um, you know, 
mixed CDs from there. <laughs> oh my God. I love doing that too. <laughs> yeah, my favorite get around it is, um, I don't know if you guys have it at the libraries. Obviously we don't have it anymore either, but you know, rent a CD there, burn it, then return it. Mm-hmm. So that was That's a good, a good move. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Burning CDs was awesome. Back when I had like a, an at like very big MP3 player. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, now it's all on Spotify. It's it's pretty amazing. And uh it makes I mean I've got a pretty nice sized record collection and I love vinyl and I mean since I've really had kids I haven't been able to go out and hit the streets and go to record stores, but I there there was like a fifteen year stretch of my life where that was just every weekend let's go out and buy vinyl and listen to vinyl and who's spinning out what little bar who do we want to go here and um, those are somewhat obsolete, but I, it's still to me the greatest way to, to listen to music. So hey, I have a really huge record collection too. I, I don't know if it's like the hipster era. I mean, I didn't get it from Urban Outfitters or anything, but, oh, this is like the saddest thing I'm going to admit to. I got into records and everything because my parents had a lot of leftovers because they didn't know what to do with them. And they did buy them at some like really cool, like thrift shops and shit but my number one place where i would get vinyls bookstores that would actually get used vinyls yeah they would throw them away sometimes and i dumpster dived i yes i was the teenager who'd be like fuck it no you don't throw away good shit i'd got a lot of books too i got five copies of rumors are you joking me? No. Who's who's throwing that out? Because everybody is buying it, so they're like, yeah, we don't really need that many copies. So anytime oh I know someone gets like a record player, I'm like, here, here's rumors. Congratulations. That's phenomenal. Like that's my go-to gift. Like enjoy your record. Yeah. Oh yeah. I uh, it's the same thing. And you know, when I was living in Toronto, I, you know, we'd always have this is before marriage, before kids. It's a lot of late nights in my apartment, and there would always be you know, guys stumbling from wherever they were at back to my place. And we'd listen to tunes. Our neighbors, you know, or my neighbors anyway, certainly hated me. Uh, and they definitely hated my friends. But, um, you know, I'd have multiple copies of this or that record. And sometimes you would just make, a, you know, someone's year. We'd be listening to, I remember my buddy, who's a great writer, Joel McConvey, um, we're listening to Nebraska, the Springsteen record. And oh, I had fuck like, yes. Yeah, I had four copies of it. And he's like, I fu- he's like, I fucking love this record. And I'm like, take it. And I got, I got three other copies. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, nah, man, take it. And he's, and he was like cradling it. And he's like, I cannot believe I have a Nebraska record. I'm <laughs> just like, yeah, I had multiple, you know, giveaway copies. I have original uh, Rolling Stones, Beatles, shit like that. But everyone gets oh, really nice. weirded out with rumors. Cause if you actually go to say urban outfitters, they sell it now for like 30 bucks. Oh, really? I know, and I'm just like, I got a shit ton. I, I jumped into a away. dumpster. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Yeah, you don't really want to admit that to Gen Z, because they're like, "What? why would you do that? Like, why? D- oh, jumping into dumpsters? Oh, my, I can, I mean, I can tell you stories. We, <laughs> when, see, in Canada... There's like um, a deposit on beer bottles and beer cans. I don't know if, if that's in every state, but uh, certainly here. So when we were, and my, you know, this is going to reflect very poorly on my parents, but I remember when we were kids, we were we'd be like camping and uh, at the provincial park, and, and like all campers, most people are there to have a good time. They're drinking lots of beer, and me and my brother and a buddy, we were like ten, 
11, we would like literally jump into the dumpsters after like a weekend of camping, rip open the garbage bags, <laughs> like pull out all the beer bottles with the cigarette butts in them and like collect them all and return them and get 20 or 30 bucks. And we thought we were in heaven. It was just the greatest thing. So I've, I've, I've div- dove into dumpsters for far less than, uh, than rumors. Um, I'd have to say the saddest dumpster dive I've ever done is I had a friend who worked at Starbucks and they told me that at the end of the night, they actually throw away all the pastries in a very tight bag and everything. So yeah, yeah. we'd, we'd go for those. Well, that's, that's, that's full on George Costanza mode right there. I know. Summer of George. <laughs> that's right. That is phenomenal. And I did. So, you know, well, I mean, I didn't expect us to veer into the um, um, sort of garbage conversation, but that's what the show's about. Just veer into where you never know. (laughs) This was not scripted. I when I was a kid, you know, they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And honestly, from the age four till probably nine I was like, I want to be a garbage man. That's all I aspire to in this world. I used to hang out at the end of the driveway on like Tuesdays when the garbage truck would come and like in the summertime with a couple of glasses of ice water for the guys and I'd give it to them. So they'd let me throw our garbage in the truck and they'd let me pull the lever. And it was just my my dream job. Uh, and then I did get to live my dream one summer <laughs> in university. I got to be a garbage man. I'm like, this is it. I've, I've hit the apex and now I can go out and do other things. So it was, it was phenomenal. So I'm not afraid of a little garbage. Yeah, same here. I mean, obviously, since I've obviously like just almost been like waist deep in it. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, how did you actually get into writing then? What was your trajectory? <clears throat> um, I guess... You know, obviously, garbage man to writer. (laughs) Full stories, yeah, exactly. It's a natural progression there. No, but I just when I was in the tenth grade, I remember we had an assignment at the end of the year, and I had a great teacher, and she was like, "Hey, just uh, it's creative writing, write a story." And everyone was like, "How long should it be?" Well, it's got to be at least two pages. Like, okay. And I just sat down at my parents' old like Epson computer that had one of those printers where the paper comes on a reel. Um, and I just started typing and I think this story ended up being like 30 pages long and I handed it in like four days late. And then the teacher was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, it was really good. It holds up. And it was just about like me and my buddies doing this, you know, going away for a weekend without telling our parents. And I still have a copy of it somewhere. My buddies will eventually um, read it out to me because I think it's just like this per- perfectly encapsulates you know, our, our youth when we were 15 or 16 years old. So I didn't know that that was something I wanted to do until I sat down and just started writing. Um, and you really for, made your sort of, writer. I mean, your teacher worked for their job right there. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, made her read it, but I think she liked it. Um, I got perfect. You got a, the highest score possible, even though it was late. So it's like, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I'm okay at this. I mean, um, if I was a teacher, I would like do five pages in and be like, I'm just gonna give him an A. <laughs> you know what? You just, you just crushed my whole perception. That's probably <laughs> what you did. <laughs> but you know, I'm a lazy asshole. So, not cut out to be a teacher oh hell to Uh, no no um and then from there i just um well two two things happened one my my friends and i were absolutely obsessed with the movie stand by me which i think is to this day probably my all-time favorite movie and 
I've let my kids watch it and they love it. So we were just, we used to act out that movie like down in the Creek. Like that was from age probably 11 to like way too old to be <laughs> acting it out. But we just like, we would go down there and pretend to be Vern and Teddy and Chris. And we would do um, the train scene. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause we had exactly. an abandoned railroad. So we were safe, but yeah. Nice, nice, but acted out. But then I remember in, uh, I think the 10th grade, I read the, the Stephen King novella, Stand By Me. And again, we're working under the premise that this is just the height of movies. It, you just cannot do any better than Stand By Me. And then I read the book and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> the book is better than the movie. The, like the, the book is like what, everything the grownups have been telling you. <laughs> it's all true. Um, and so I was like, oh my goodness, see, there's, there's something to this. It's so powerful. And then I just started writing, like not necessarily stories, but my, my buddies and I, we, we did some pretty stupid things and we got into some trouble and did engaged in a, a lot of debauchery. And if we'd go away for a weekend, I would just sort of write up like a, uh, a summary of, <laughs> of what we all got into and they just started getting passed around and people are like, this is, <laughs> this is really awesome stuff. Um, and it just, um, yeah, so it just, it sort of went from there and then, um, and then I wrote like a manuscript for a novel in my twenties and it was, it was pretty good, although I'm afraid to, to look at it now. Um, but I, um, I shopped that around a bit. It got me an agent. Um, we didn't, we didn't get it published. We came close. We got a couple offers. They weren't what we wanted. So she gave me the, you know, the, the best and most difficult advice, um, I've ever received, which was put it, put it back in the drawer and start something else. It's just like, Oh my God, I spent five years writing that. Um, <clears throat> but, um, uh, and then, and then I, I, I went to work on, uh, what, what became the recalcitrant stuff of life, which we wound up getting published. So, um, and that, I mean, that took, that took some time that, uh, that book took some time to write. I'm seeing so many, um, blurbs where you are actually compared to Bukowski and Kerouac. Yeah. It's Why? Funny. Well, I, I've never read Bukowski. Is it jazzy? Like, is there like really like stream of conscious vibe or? it is well the Bukowski thing um again I've never read Bukowski and I've got my old college roommate he he lives in Australia and he's like you are the second coming of Charles Bukowski I'm like I've never read him I don't even know what that means um the Kerouac it means you're pretty wild but yeah. yeah there's there's some stuff that's um how would you say it's uh it's uh parental discretion is advised I mean it's not it's you know there, there's some there's some bad language some salty language and some mature subject matter in, in the book. But, um, the Kerouac thing, I, I never drew that connection, but I've had a lot of people, um, say that the writing reminds them of Kerouac. And I think it's just that, that cadence, that energy, um, just that, that poetic sort of cadence in the writing. So there's, there's probably something to that. And I, I get the Hunter S Thompson thing too, just because, when I wrote the book, it was based on a lot of firsthand gonzo type experience. So um, there's, there's that element of it, certainly. You know, the fact about that means that you've lived a really cool life. Uh, <laughs> I've done some things. Uh, yeah. I mean, your kids are ready for like a really cool story when they get older. They are. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they want the, um, the opening line of the book, and this is probably where you get the Bukowski piece, is uh, how the fuck did I get here? That's that is the opening line. And so 
when we did the book launch party in October here, we've got a we got a decent sized backyard here, so we did it out in the backyard. Had like a hundred people here. It was it was pretty wild and raucous. But um, my daughter is ten, and she is a great little baker, uh, aspiring chef. So she made the cake, and she <laughs> and she wrote the the first line on the cake. So this uh, great 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 <laughs> parenting here, you know. <laughs> Oh, believe me, I, I wrote the dirtiest book and my nine-year-old nephew got a hold of it. And I just actually yelled at him. I was just like, this is rated R. <laughs> do, do, do not read this. For a reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, I mean, the premise of the book, you say, like, I've done some stuff. Like, I, um, so it takes place predominantly in Peru. Um, and it's about, it's about um, a guy who's experienced some trauma in his life. And he's really trying to hide um, from everything and, and run away from from all of the trauma that he's faced back home. So he goes into Peru uh, into this town called Iquitos, which is in the Amazon. It's like famous for being the the largest city in the world that cannot be accessed by road. So you've got this really cool dynamic where you've got a city, but it's in this wild west jungle frontier. Um, it's really difficult to get there. You you either have to fly in or you have to take like a three-day trip down the Amazon River to get there. So um, I had spent some time there and thought it might be a cool place to to set a novel. Um, and then there's uh, an element, you know, the book sort of culminates um, with uh, a shaman and uh, this ayahuasca experience. And... I guess in doing research for the novel, <laughs> I had read this article in National Geographic about this shaman in, in Peru. And I was like, oh, my God, that sounds insane. I'm like, I have to go do that. <laughs> so I uh, I was actually going to ask, like, did you listen to a lot of Peruvian music, kind of like Cumbia or like just kind of like. What what is that flute thing? Yeah, it's like um, what is it called? Oh, um, it's, it's, it's like a, a pan, weird a pan like flute. angle. Yeah, like the pan yeah. flute. Um, you cannot help but hear that if you take like a bus trip in Peru, like a you know either over the Andes or down the coast, like that's just the music it plays incessantly and nonstop. So <laughs> you you cannot escape it. It's it's great at first, and then it's just like it is. You know, you're ready. You're ready for some. Something else after a little while. Are you ready for some, I don't know, anything else? Justin <laughs> have you Bieber. you spent a lot of time there? I have, yeah. So I, um, so what, when I was down there going to see this shaman, I, um, you have to fly in and out of Lima. And uh, so I flew into Lima. I checked into this hostel. There are a thousand hostels in Lima. Um, and so we went to Barranco, which is the neighborhood. We, I went to Barranco, um, checked into this hostel. It was Halloween. Um, so this hostel was having like a big Halloween party. Um, so, you know, they each gave, like they gave everyone a mask. So thank God I was wearing a mask and, uh, I, you know, I met this girl. Um, it was her first day working at the hostel and, uh, we really hit it off. And then, uh, and then the next morning I got up and flew into the jungle and spent two weeks with a shaman had my entire consciousness blown to a billion different pieces. Um, and I was, I, again, I was just there cause I thought it would be cool to write about, um, but everyone else was there like, you know, dealing with trauma, trying to get over addiction. I mean, just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and I, like I said, I was just there for the ride, but the shaman pulled me aside at one point and he said, Hey, you have no idea what you're doing here, but he goes, I know, uh, and it'll all make sense to you in one year's time. 
And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then I flew back to Lima for one more night, reconnected with this girl. Uh, and then I got on a plane the next morning and I was like, I am marrying that girl. Like that's, I, I already know the answer. And so flew back to Toronto. Um, we, you know, connected via MSN messenger of all things <laughs> started talking. And then I flew back there a couple months later and we spent like 10 days together. And then I just, I moved out of my apartment, moved in with my grandmother <laughs> so I could fly down there every two weeks to see her. And then it didn't dawn on me until, um, probably the wedding night that it was, we got married a year to the day that the shaman said that. And I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. Um, so that, uh, so yeah, to answer your question, I, because my wife's from there, we spent a lot of time down there. Um, and there's a lot of that, um, experience that went into the book. I dig that. Yeah. It was, I really do. It was crazy. There's so many layers to it. Yeah. And I'm, believe me, I'm the furthest thing from a spiritual person, but I couldn't help but think like, oh my goodness, like maybe, maybe there's something to this. Um, there's a bit of a sense of alienation. Yeah. 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 I want to know if, like, it came from that, like, being, like, in a strange place and everything. Yeah. Obviously that you would have those feelings. Yeah, and you're just, you've sort of got a clean slate because you've just um, undergone this totally transformative, um, conscious, annihilating experience in the jungle for two weeks where you're just, you know, puking your brains out and hallucinating and thinking that you're dying. So, you know, it was in a good spot to meet someone. Is that where you kind of got the Kerouac vibe from? Like when uh, on the road, when they go to, a, it's not Tijuana. That's not where they go, is it? I don't, you know, it's, I haven't read on the road um, since high school. It's literally sitting on my table behind me. It's probably third in my, in my to be read pile. So I'll have to, <laughs> have to get back to you on that one. Definitely. So, definitely. so embarrassing that I don't know that. So believe me, I mean, I kind of like, I'm over my Kerouac phase. I still appreciate him, but he did what he did to get me into literature. Yeah, he, he was, he, uh, he was the, the right author for the right time mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Um, and then, so the music thing, it's, it's interesting when you're traveling, like as a, as a gringo, um, in a foreign country. I mean, have you, have you been to South America? No, but I plan to come summer. Yeah. All right. Well, if you're, if you're going to Peru, let me know. I've got, uh, some off the gringo trail spots for you to hit for sure. Um, but it's, it's really interesting. The music that you hear down there, because it's not just like, like you said, the cumbia, cumbia or the, um, um, or like the, the Andean pipe music that you hear. It's just what has made it to Peru from either the U S or Canada or the UK. And so like what I, there's a part in the book where it, like, like the guys, the, the, the two guys who are, on their way to Pruda to bring their friend back. They're like at this, um, it's like they have these bars down there or certainly they used to, um, where it's like you put money in a jukebox, but it's like a video jukebox. And so the whole bar, all the TVs will play the music video of the song that you've put your dollar in or your one soul to play. Um, and it's just like, when I was down there the first couple times, I just heard so much dire straits. I'm like, is this the biggest band in Peru? Like, what is this? Um, so it's just, it's really interesting what you hear when you're in a place, like what has resonated with that culture. Um, lots of queen, you know, lots of, uh, like I said, lots of dire straits, never any Springsteen. I, I never, never, I've never heard Springsteen. I've probably spent cumulatively like close to a year in Peru. And I don't think I've ever heard a Springsteen song down there. So it's really interesting. 
I mean, I would say that I've been through a lot of countries in like Eastern Europe and I've been to Istanbul and everything. And I don't know, it is, it's almost like, I'm trying to say like different countries will be like 10, 20 years behind us when it comes to, to music. I mean, my boyfriend, he's Turkish. And uh, when I ask like his parents what they love, they're still in the disco era. Oh, really? <laughs> disco. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, still, still kind of weird. I try and like get them into like our music, and they're like, ah, no, <laughs> no, not feeling it. No. So you, your music, who? What's your what's your uh, your all time top five? What's uh? Oh, that's a hard one, man. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, okay. You know, it's either... a very subjective experience, wouldn't you agree? Like to oh, what totally. you're feeling at the time. It is. That's my 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 eight year old always asks me, "What's your favorite color?" And I would say, "It depends." <laughs> what What do you mean? Is it for what See, clothes? Color, I, wear? I could do it. But... Oh, really? Yeah, purple. Okay, that's good. Prince. So Prince is in your top five. Oh no no no! no. Not his <laughs> kind of purple. <laughs> Although I hear Gen Z is starting to have their own like lavenderish purple. I like how each generation like kind of develops their own color. It's weird. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's like we're starting to like have things like randomly applied to us. Where it's like, when did this start happening? Yeah, really. Um, yeah, so I either do top five or the Mount Rushmore. I mean, I think I'm, you know, the Mount Rushmore. I can always do, but top five is a little more difficult. The five that five hole is tough to fill. I mean, I think My Chemical Romance has always been up there, same as uh, Lana Del Rey, Del Rey yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stevie Nicks, shit nice. like that. Yeah. But, you know, those other two, they're always changing, depending yeah. on what mood I'm in. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Like, if I'm on a road trip, you won't get me bummed out if you throw any of those on there. I'll just be like, I dig it. I can yeah. keep driving. You're good Bobbing to go. my head. Yeah. And are you uh, predominantly Spotify? I know uh, you're, you're, you're pretty big on the cassettes. Yeah, I'm predominantly Spotify. Cassettes are new to me. Um, oh, really? I was big into them when I was younger because I have a lot of Gen X siblings. Yeah. I'm the youngest of five kids, and I am the only millennial. I mean, my brother's millennial, but like I say he's a baby boomer inside. So <laughs> really, I want to say it was uh, Adam Gennady. He's the one who got me into it, and I actually had to like go hunting down like a cassette player, which is really hard to find here. They are incredibly hard to find because my kids, they see my cassettes. I've got them like they're sitting in front of me right now. I've got them like on a bookshelf and they just, it's the most foreign concept. Like those play music. So, um, my sister's a singer songwriter and she's got this little cassette player she records with when she's just sort of in the car. So they borrowed that for a couple of weeks and we're recording tapes and playing some of mine and they, their, their minds were completely blown. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see the sort of technology coming back around. I mean, I would say the last time I really heavily used, uh, cassette tapes, um, was on my first big road trip where I did a straight through from Chicago to San Francisco, like the 36 hour. And like, we were all packed into this one minivan and it had to be like from the nineties. And that's all it had was a cassette player. And we actually had to stop at like a store and be like, we need music, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. So like, what was the, what was the big tape? Like what, what were you guys listening to most? Um, we all kind of got our own, um, one of the guys, this is how you know, I did some risky shit <laughs> when I was younger. Like, the two guys that were predominantly driving, we didn't know them. They were just two boys from <laughs> Cornell. <laughs> One was my boyfriend, and then there was a female friend of mine who, you know, age dr- causes you to drift apart. But 
I remember I got Howl by Allen Ginsberg. It took nice. uh, an entire tape. And then I also got... Okay, this is embarrassing. I got ABBA. Well, see, that's the, the disco connection. It was meant to be. Yeah, um, <laughs> but a lot of them, they got Bruce Springsteen, uh, Husker Du, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, they were be. really into college rock, but yeah. I, I don't know if they call it that for you guys. I guess our college rock would just be your regular rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's uh, I'd call it college rock. Um, the only one who didn't end up buying a tape is my fiance going on husband, and that's because he's not a really big music guy. I got him into the music. We're slowly getting there. Nice. Well, yeah. So I've heard you're. Are you still trying to find your wedding song? Um, we actually totally uh, decided on a new form of wedding. Not new. Like I'd say, our generation does it a lot more because he's very Turkish. His parents are terrified of a. Christian wedding, and I'd like to point out neither of us are religious in any way, but they interpret some of like the normal American norms of like going down an aisle or the ceremony as Christian, which freaks him out. I was like, I, it wouldn't even be a priest. There are no prayers, nothing. But that freaked him out. And obviously, Turkish people have very, very different traditions when it comes to prepping for weddings. Um, they have this really interesting like coffee thing where like. I would have to make coffee for my fiance, but I'd have to put like salt in it and everything. And he would have to like accept it and drink it anyways <laughs> to nice. prove like he could put up with my shitty uh, cooking. And then he would have to bribe <laughs> oh my, my brothers and uh, put cash in their pockets and everything. Like it's so strange. Oh, that's awesome. Tradition. Yeah, and I find the tradition fun, but once you get to like your older parents and they're like, I always envisioned this. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to actually just uh, elope, but not really. Does it count as eloping if everybody knows you're doing it? That, yeah, that doesn't sound like eloping. It's just you're doing a small, a small private thing. I feel like eloping. We're going to go to Egypt. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, you don't hear a lot of people eloping to Egypt. That's, uh, you know, Vegas, yes. Egypt, no. Well, we are going to be living abroad come summer and I don't know how long we'll be there. I'll still be doing the podcast from yeah, there. Nice. Don't worry. That's Technology great. is everywhere. So, yeah. But yeah, we want to do that. I said I will not get married in Egypt if we can't have a camel involved. <laughs> nice. And, you know, I have the weirdest fascination with camels. Like, I don't know. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, it'd be cool to ride it. And I was like, I just want to see it spit. <laughs> then, then he's good. Yeah, I'm just like, I just want the camel to be camelish. Like, that. that's it. <laughs> I don't know. I have the weirdest, like, obsession with, like, animals. I don't know. I like their, like, oddities more than, like, their perfections. Yeah. Well, if you like camels, then you would like the alpacas in Peru and the llamas, mm. you know? Those things are cool. I am dying for that. Um, I just want to... That's my thing. I want to go everywhere. Yeah. I mean, before I have kids, I mean... There are some places you could take kids. Obviously, you have kids, so you understand. But I don't want to do it where, like, say you do the Peru trip or you do the Europe trip. Because you're going to have kids who are like, oh, I'm tired. Oh, I want my treats. I want to take a nap. Oh, my God, we can't keep walking and shit. Or I don't give a shit about the pyramid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you want to do, you know, South America where you're probably going to get food poisoning and you're going to be staying in hostels for like 20 bucks a night. That's you want to do before the kids, probably. 
Um, and then maybe you can do Europe with the kids. That would be, <laughs> be my advice. You uh, know, everyone says the food poisoning when you go to, say, like Mexico or shit, but no one warns you when you go to, like, say, Turkey or Greece, like, it's, hey, it's you're going to get it there. Yeah, there's no like, way to avoid it. Don't drink the water, Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, our, we got married down in Peru. Um, my wife couldn't get up here till after we were married, so... Um, had like uh, 28 friends and family fly down there, none of whom had been south of the equator before. And they flew in on a th- Wednesday night, and then we got married on the Saturday. And by Saturday, like two-thirds of them were just like gray and just <laughs> so ill. <laughs> it was just like I, I warned them. I'm like, you're going to get sick. There's no way to avoid it. And uh, that that came true. I mean, we were there for like, I want to say like a month and we were both down at different points, which was good. Yeah. Um, One to take care of the other. But I don't know. I don't think either of us predicted going down that hard. Oh, it's it's the worst. Like it is you you feel like you've been poisoned because you have (laughs) like it's it's miserable. But yeah, food is still good. You just got to take that risk. That's it. No, it's, oh, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather roll the dice than, you know, just eat hot dogs or something. So, you know, you got to get to dive into the culture. Oh, I got to say the weirdest thing is when you go to other countries and they serve American food. It's so out there. Yeah. It's, and it's not what you're there for. Yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of McDonald's and Starbucks. Like when you go to like the main touristy areas, I was like, no, th- that's not cool. Yeah. Although sometimes if you're away long enough, you're like, you know what I'd kill for? <laughs> like a, a McDonald's cheeseburger. I like mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think they make burgers better than us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and this is I, I did work at McDonald's as a teenager, so um, I have some experience. You know, I, I do like a McDonald's cheeseburger every now and then, but it's, it doesn't even taste like a hamburger. It just tastes like a McDonald's cheeseburger. So I can't rather, judge rather you because I had else. McDonald's earlier today. So there you go. <laughs> nice. I have the McDonald's app and like we had Moroccan food earlier, but like my boyfriend and I see I've called him husband, fiance, and now we're going down to boyfriend <laughs> running the gamut. <laughs> but like we split food because I'm never as hungry as him, but he ate most of the plate. And then I was just like, now you got to get me more food because I'm hungry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and McDonald's on the way home, is. that's what it was. So McDonald's it was. He got like free large fries. So you know what? He's good. He was settled. Nice. Nice. But you're right. It doesn't like the buns feel so artificial, kind of plasticky. Yeah. Yeah. And it it has such a unique smell. It is. It is extremely unique. Like there's nothing like it, but it does pretty well taste the same all over the world. That's why if you're away for a long time, just a little, little taste of home. That and Starbucks, I mean, it's one oh, yeah. of those, like, there's such a consistency where, like, say, I ordered a lot of chai lattes when I was in Greece and some frappes. They are not the same oh, as really? you get them here. No. <laughs> now, are they not the same better or not the same worse? See, that's the issue. Is it, it depends on where you go. Yeah. <laughs> like, you could go, like, to one and then go down the block and it's entirely different. Yeah. Huge variance. Yeah. And also, I think the translation issue is a little hard, too. <laughs> right. So tell them exactly how you like it. I know. Just be like, mm, this is not a chai. I really tried. <laughs> but no, it's cool. I mean, I definitely liked going to Greece and Istanbul. They have cats everywhere, which is so oh, yeah. fucking cool. Um, the hardest thing, though, is uh, when you go to, say, Istanbul, they have refugees everywhere from Syria. Oh, wow. 
they'll steer, steal your food. Oh, really? You'll be at a restaurant, and if you're not like paying attention, they'll just swipe that shit. <laughs> wow. But it's, I mean, it's hard to, hard to get too angry about that. No, it's not. It's like one of those things where like we weren't paying attention and like we got a souffle and like a five-year-old just came and grabbed it. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how did this happen? I think, I think he needs it more than I do. So you're good. Yeah, definitely. Like we were both like, we're not going to do anything about this, but what? <laughs> it was definitely just like an American thing. Where we were like, this doesn't happen here or maybe in other cities. I don't know. Nice. But that was actually my favorite thing about um, going to different countries, though, is like hearing their music. They get into music so much more than I would say we do. Like they get into music in public. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like I was going to ask if in Peru they do that, but like they would do like drum circles or they'd have like stereos going and it would just be like in the middle of the like streets. Like they did just take over the streets and you just see them jamming. It's like, what? Like this is so cool. Yeah. I think, um, my experience in Peru is, um, they, they don't have a lot of boundaries when it comes to noise. It's one of those places that is incredibly loud. And I've told this story before, um, at my mother-in-law's apartment, um, you know, there's not, like there's no insulation in the walls. The windows are all single plane or single pane. And most of the time they're open cause it's pretty warm. So you hear everything and the apartments are like right up against each other and stacked on top of one another. And, uh, the apartment, like across the alleyway from my mother-in-law's place, um, I guess the guys had the, this rock band and they played like weddings and that sort of thing. And they rehearsed like, I, I want to say it was like every Tuesday night or every Wednesday night from like 11 PM till two thirty AM. And they played the exact same set list in the exact same order every week. And it was just so loud. And it's just like hilarious. Like, you know, Oh, I know what song's coming next. Um, <laughs> and I remember asking my wife, I'm like, how, like, how does this work? Like, how does nobody, call the police or not. And she's like, well, you know, someday we're going to have a party and we're going to make lots of noise. And it's just understood that that's the way it's going to be. I'm like, all right, I can dig that. That's pretty cool. So I mean, it's the same thing like with like traffic and everything. Like there are no regulations in a lot of these countries. It's like everybody for themselves. Have fun. Oh, dry. I drove in Peru one time for about three minutes. Did you have a death wish? It was like my, <laughs> we were at a, some friends of my wife's, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, um, we needed some beer. And so, um, one of, one of my wife's friends, boyfriends, he's like, Hey, you want to, want to take my car? I'm like, yeah, that's cool. He's had this, I don't even know what kind of car it was like a, some little sports car. I'm like, yeah, I'll drive. And I like drove, it was like three blocks. And then we got out of the car and I gave him the keys. I'm like, never again. It is completely <laughs> insane. Like you will be in the left-hand lane and then someone from the right-hand lane, when the light turns green, will like pull out in front and turn left from the right hand lane and vice what? versa. They pay attention to like the lights. Oh, oh. Uh, well, yeah, I guess that there is that, but, uh, it's, it's just complete chaos. And that's just, if you don't, if you're not accustomed to that and like I drive in Toronto, I drive in New York. I mean, I got no problem with big city driving, but it is a whole other level down there. So yeah, I'm, I'm good to take a cab. I just, you know, even in this country, if you get like someone from another country, I want to say it was a couple of, like weeks ago where I was in an Uber and I was like in a huge hurry and I asked the guy, I was like, can you please just kind of like do what you got to do? Like get there really fast. And he just looked back at me and he's like, I'm Russian. And that's all. 
<laughs> There's your answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that was like a reassurance or a threat. Like I have no idea. So d- did he get you there in, in oh, good time? He was able to weave in and out. <laughs> nice. I was just like Jesus Christ. <laughs> In a way that, like, it felt dangerous, but I never thought, like, my life was going to, like, be at risk. I was like, he seems to know what he's doing, but poor other cars. Yeah, crazy but in control. hmm That's awesome. Like, I feel like they should be the only people who could drive in this country. They will get you there. <laughs> yeah. Eastern Europeans, or I don't know. I don't know how they drive in other countries. I obviously have more experience in that area, but fuck if I go down to South America and find that they're, like, totally crazy ass drivers i'm there for it too yeah yeah it's and i've been in a a fender bender down there in a cab and it was just like they both got out of their car and looked at the damage like all right see ya like no no exchange of information or anything (laughs) like we're good like it that's a good way to keep traffic moving i mean i did that once here in chicago oh yeah (laughs) i was like in a rush to go vote in 2016 and we were on the highway and a guy like hit my bumper and then we went to like the side and like there's like a small little like kind of mini bump and we were just like it's not worth it yeah and then we just got good. back in our cars nice. i was like that's great Get the hardest part vote. was getting back on the highway but i was like oh, you know what this shoulder, is a very yeah. Imp- yeah i was like i just need to do this vote it's important yeah <laughs> that's right like this is a big deal yeah no kidding but so when you write when it comes to the music is it more important like to get in the mood with the music or write with music playing or music as a playlist? Yeah. Um, I generally try to write in silence for as much as I can. Um, I sometimes have kids knocking on the door and that sort of thing, but yeah, I, I can't really have anything going on in the background, but when I'm putting music in, in a book, I just, I try to put myself in that place. And again, drawing on experience from, from being in certain places, you know, what, what was playing at that time. And, you know, this book is set in 2011 for the most part. There are a few flashbacks to earlier, but I always, I'm like fanatical about timelines and making sure that if the book is set in 2011 and it's February, the song cannot have been released in March of 2011. Like everything is, is sort of buttoned up that way. Um, so I just, I just really played a, it's not like, Hey, this song would go great here. It's like, what, what would actually be playing here? What would this person hear? What would be playing in this store or what would be playing in this car that, that drove by at that time? So, um, you know, when I wrote this book, yeah, I had no expectation. I was hopeful it would get published, but no expectations that it would. And so I, when I put the playlist, you know, I was looking at the playlist before coming on here. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I left off this band or that band. <laughs> but that's, it's not what I was thinking about. It was, it was all about what would happen in that moment. So I'm like kicking myself that I didn't have any Sloan I mean, or treble charger on there, but that just, it didn't, Spotify, it wasn't in the cards. you can keep adding it. You can, but oh, so, and I should state this, um, the playlist that is sort of listed off in the book and that has a QR code for it's um i sort of equate it to um it's like that movie american graffiti if you've ever seen that like there's oh yeah there's like a song playing like the only time the song stops is like when the car whatever rolls away but um so every song that's in that playlist is like playing in the book it's not just like hey this sets the mood it's like this song was playing in this bar or this song was playing in this car so it's like i think of it as sort of a movie soundtrack that way it's it's songs 
because again, if I'm reading a book and it mentions a song or the song is playing in the book, I always want to, I want to listen to it like in real time. So that's sort of how this is, is laid out. I like it when people actually mention songs in books. Cause I don't know. It's like, it's such a big aspect of our lives and it's always shocking when people are like, and this is just happening. It's like, What's going on in the backdrop? Exactly. What do they listen to? Are they watching something? Here's the dorkiest thing I will ever say. Harry Potter. It takes place in the 90s, but it's like you never once actually catch what is he listening to? Yeah, that's Look. a great point. <laughs> and also, like, has anyone just to be like, hey, the Bulls have like a really great winning streak. Anyone else notice that? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like I, I'd like to hear like a bit, bit more like, say, the Muggle culture because he was raised and like during the summers, they get like a taste of what the other people are doing. And it can't just be, okay, this is embarrassing. I had a friend who had a Harry Potter rock band. That nice. was like years ago. But it's like, no, I, I can't imagine that they're just singing about like trolls and shit. Like, no, come on. They lived in the real world for, you know, a portion of their time. That's, I never, my, my daughter who's 10 is, obs- well, she's mostly over her Harry Potter obsession, but there was a stretch of three years there where it was everything. And she's read all the books and I never through that, um, I never thought about, yeah, where is the music in this? But that's a great point. I mean, even if you read Twilight, and that is one of the weirdest one-ups, I'll give it to you, they'll mention the music. And I was just like, see, they'll at least give it to us. Yeah. I know that they're listening to Muse and Vampire Weekend. A little on the nose there. but Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I know, I do love when a book especially will reference some music. Cause I, there, there are records I've gone out and sought because it, they were mentioned. Like I know um, I was trying to think of like, what are the books that I would buy soundtracks for or that I wish had soundtracks for? And I don't know if you read any Jonathan Lethem, but mm-hmm. he's, he's, if you read fortress of solitude. Yeah. Oh my God. That just like, I thought I knew soul music. And then I read that book. I was like, Oh my, and I went out and bought like, Shuggy Otis and I bought like Mingus, Charlie Mingus. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And I would have never stumbled across that stuff if it weren't for that book. So, you know, they're just so hand in hand. Like you just can't separate the two. I would say what inspired me the most with this podcast. Are you familiar with Noah Cicero? Uh, Not not as much as I should be. So I'll I'll say no. Okay, I think he's actually going to have a reprint of this book, but it's called Bipolar Cowboy. And in one of the last poems, I want to say nearing the end, there's in parentheses, listen to Bonavere's, uh Skinny Love. Oh, it was yeah. a specific uh, like live version. but oh, like, is, it, t- is it the live version? Live yeah. version on uh, David Letterman? No, not David oh. Letterman. It was a different one. I would actually go to my shelf and like reach for it, but I'm like, eh, that takes too much time. But... <laughs> It really does fit, though. If, like, you're reading it and then you turn it on, you're like, God damn, I'm feeling the emotion now. Oh, yeah. We, uh, me and a buddy uh, took a trip to Boston to visit another buddy of ours. Um, and somehow, Skinny Love, the live version from David Letterman, just became, <laughs> again, that word anthem. It's somehow, of all the songs and all the times, became our anthem for that weekend. We listened to it probably a hundred times, and it's just the most lights out version. It's so good. That song is phenomenal. So you can find that one on YouTube, I think. But hey, so, oh, more people should do stuff like that. Just be like, this is the mood. Please get enveloped in this. Yeah, without question. Um, I think of uh, a book, um, High Fidelity. Obviously, they turned it into a, a movie. And uh, 
and like a series, but that that's another one. I'm like, man, I wish that book had a, had a soundtrack, but I guess they, they pretty well did with the movie, but I just love that it's, it's set like in real time in the real world. And these are the songs they're listening to. And this is the song that's playing in the store at this time. I, I just, I love that stuff. I love in the movie when you actually see his own personal collection. That's my like personal aspiration. Oh yeah. Oh, Where I'm just like, I, I need that please. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's organizing them, uh, not chronologically. What do you say? Autobiographically. <laughs> that's like amazing. Do you ever do it where, like, not just with records, but books, too, where, like, you suddenly are like, I need to rearrange it, but then you decide which, like, totally weird category. You're just going to be like, no, I'm going to do it by genre, or just going to do last name, or this is going to be the mood I was in when I picked it. Yeah, I mean, mine are organized. I'm looking behind me now. Like, mine are organized by the ones I love the most are the most front and center. So, Mm -hmm. like, eye level on these three shelves are my, you know, my hundred favorite books and then you know it sort of descends from there (laughs) the ones that are less visible are the ones that i uh you know are maybe not quite as visible and then there's the ones i've lent out that have grown legs and never returned and i find myself going to use bookstores to try to (laughs) get extra copies but uh that's part of it you know lending out books i i never lend books that's one of those things my theory is if you're giving someone a book you're giving the person the book. My friend and I actually had this really dorky thing. God, it sounds almost drug dealerish, but he always kept a shit ton of books into the trunk of his car, and we called it Charlie's Library. His name wasn't even Charlie. That is phenomenal. That is yeah. so good. Like if we ever mentioned a book, and it's like we never ended up doing it. We're like we'd have to go home or anything. It was just like you know, no, here it is. Check it out. I don't need it anymore. I read it cover to cover. That's phenomenal because, I mean, honestly, this is going to sound like a dorky um, writerly thing to say, but you'd be hard pressed, I think, to give a better gift to someone than a book that they fall in love with because it just opens a whole new world to them. Not just the book itself, but that writer, that genre, that type of I mean, all of it. It just you know, I think of the books that my uncles are like voracious, great readers, um, and they would give me, you know, books when I was 16, 17, like. Steinbeck and Jay McInerney. Um, and it was just like, it opened this whole new world for me and sent me down this path. I'm like, just, it's the greatest gift you could give. So I love that idea of Charlie's library. <laughs> it's that's so cool. I can't help but do it for every holiday for like yeah. my nieces and nephews and my friends, like either a record or a book, you're getting yeah. one or the other. Oh yeah. I, I think we're kindred spirits here. That's, it's the best you can, that's the best you can give. Even if you don't even know the person that well, it's like, I vibe that you might like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I, I have um, my other podcast, that horror cast. Um, my co-host, Dimitri, he's actually from the Soviet Union. And I shit you not, I just happen to have um, baby boomers from the Soviet Union. So I went to <laughs> his, uh, he does art, and I went to his gallery yesterday. I was like, oh, by the way, here you go. And oh, I just nice. gave him the book. That is Didn't, phenomenal. No warning or anything. I was just like, here you go. I, maybe you'll find this intriguing. Maybe you'll just want to spit in my face and be like, this is horrible. This is not us. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm just going to roll the dice, see if you like it. Oh, that's great. So more importantly, though, how is Dimitri as a driver? Uh, I don't. He has a bike. Oh. Like, Does I he have drive so it like a madman? You know, I really would like to get in a car with him because he used to be a <laughs> cab driver. Oh, really? So, oh, then you know he's a driver. Yeah, I mean, and he's Russian. 
Yeah, so. that's, that's why I asked. <laughs> he actually has an entire book based off of it. I don't remember which book it is. I think it's like, I don't know, I have a whole stack of them. But it's all based of, all on his experiences of being a cab driver. You know, that's why you might like Bukowski. He has a book that's completely based off of a weird job he had. Nice. So I would say, like, what do they call that uh, genre now? Autofiction? For, like Bukowski? Um, just kind of like, it's not Romana Clay anymore, but yeah, just like kind of pulling for your real life. Oh, uh, I was going to say transgressive, but uh, yeah, no, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I suck at is. genres. I know. I, I mean, when I um, was trying to get this book published, they always say, well, describe the genre. I'm like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> literary fiction. <laughs> is that a genre? I guess. I mean, I was interviewed once on my most recent book and there's like, genre and I was just like oh shit um it's sort of about me but also please don't tell anybody it's about me um yeah I mean how I don't know how anyone can write a book and not draw from their own experiences right like what would you even be writing about I love when people draw the wrong things from it oh yeah like sometimes they think like one that you're way smarter than you actually are yeah yeah and you just have to be like oh of course, I oh, meant that you, very yeah. deep philosophical thing. Mm-hmm. You got that layer. Nice. You're a great reader. <laughs> or then some people are like, this is about me, right? And it's like, oh, shit, I didn't even think about it. Okay, yeah, yeah sure. It could be. And that's it's funny. I got, um, I got the most amazing thing uh, in the mail last week, which was a, not a handwritten, hand-typed review of my book from my uncle who's a retired English teacher uh him and a 91 year old lady both read it believe it or not collaborated on this uh review and it was so interesting to see what he drew for from it and what he interpreted it and oh this character reminded me so much of of this person and I was like I you know that's I, <laughs> I didn't write it that way but it's really it's really interesting to see it through the eyes of the reader I remember uh, in in my university literary criticism class talking about, hey, what what does this text mean? And I always was of the opinion that, oh, well, the only I person... I think teachers are bullshit when it yeah. comes to that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember them, my, my opinion was, well, the only person who really knows what it means is the author, the, the person who wrote it. They know what it means. And and the professor's opinion was, no, no, it, it's in the, what the reader interprets it. That's what it means. And then I was like, Oh, interesting. And I'm starting See, to, I never to get took that. college courses in that. I, I mean, I just did like high school, but they always would be like really deep meanings. And I was like, I really don't think that the writer went that hard yeah. into this. Just telling a good story. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, I think maybe they drew some references from the time, but it's like, I do not think that they like went in there with that much intention. Yeah. Yeah, some some do, some don't. I don't know. It's uh, it's it's, it's really a hit or miss. Yeah, exactly. Some of them are the most contrived books ever. It's like really. I mean, <laughs> I I just think Cyrano de Bergerac is Cyrano de Bergerac. Like, just allow it to be what it is. <laughs> yeah, let it exist. Like, hey, it's a good story. Let's just stick with that. Yeah. Very few layers, but yeah. Do you want to read anything for us? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to. I was I was trying to think if I was going to read what I would, would read. Generally, I would read like so the first chapter to give you a, a, a taste of what it's about. But then I thought, okay, what's the most sort of music heavy um, section? There's I've got this passage in here that um, I 
just to sort of set the stage. Um, the two characters, they're called Ishi and the Deuce, have uh, flown into Lima um, for one night before heading to the jungle to, to track down their friends. So um, like all uh, guys in their late 20s, the first thing they do is have a few drinks and then hit the town. <laughs> so um, and of course, they meet a couple of uh, uh, young ladies and they split up. So this is just sort of the uh, the 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 late night um, ramblings of what happens with uh, uh, a character called the Deuce and uh, an Australian surfer girl that he's met at uh, one of these bars that plays the music videos. So um, I'll uh, I'll just read from this. There's a lot. This is the most music reference, uh, most music heavy reference section of the <laughs> the book. So you know, try to keep up with the song references here. <clears throat> The taxi swerves through late-night Lemayne traffic with distressing speed and audacity, but neither Simone nor the Deuce, smashed and smitten, pay it any mind. In no time, they cruise past the crumbling mansions and towering trees lining Barranco. The surfers have long since caught the last break at Playa Barranquito, and it seems they've all come to congregate on the sand-swept streets. The intoxicating scent of sunscreen and salty breezes sprinkles magic in the night. The cab pulls alongside a rollicking old estate in a shady part of town, and the deuce slips the driver twice the fare before stumbling onto the crowded sidewalk. The old walls of Sargento Pimienta rattle with the kinks all day and all of the night. Simone and the deuce make a beeline for the dance floor, roused by the realization that they're two of the few gringos in the bar. They share one-liter bottles of Cristal, going sip for sip as they scream the lyrics to every song, jumping and spilling beer in a ritual of rediscovered youth. Summertime blues, do wa diddy diddy. Sheena is a punk rocker. You shook me all night long. In a country where they understand little and know even less, the music speaks to Simone and the Deuce. It is in them. Their songs they've sung, songs they've shared, songs they've lived, lived, and those songs now feel like a beacon of light taking them home. They stop dancing only to crash the bar for Jagermeister and beer. Except for a few salsa numbers where the locals put on an impossibly sensual display, the night belongs to Simone and the Deuce, the two of them singing full throttle, feeling the electric cords pumping through their veins, thrashing and flailing as they romp. Baba O'Reilly, gimme shelter, the Deuce kisses her hard and often. Wooly bully, it's my life, out on the dance floor, hand down her pants. I fought the law, nobody notices. Ninety-six tears, nobody cares. They're soaked in sweat and smoking two cigarettes at a time, bouncing off bodies as they jump and wail. When the DJ spins a bristling old vinyl copy of Please Please Me, the deuce climbs onto a speaker and rips off his shirt, air guitaring with a vengeance and inciting a riot. Come on, come on, come on, come on. A gringo in all his glory, sweat splattering as he shakes his head in a crazed mop-top McCartney, going back-to-back with a Peruvian kid who joins him atop the speaker in an air guitar single mic sequence that is pure Pan-American Bruce and Clarence. Simone is loving every second of it. Management is not. Security asks them to leave, but they're already gone. They laugh hysterically as they run down the street, stopping only to push-start a stalled-out VW Beetle. The driver offers a ride as thanks. They hop in and he stops at a late-night Barranco mainstay with a queue stretching onto the sidewalk. All three of them stand in line to hang with the locals, sharing sips of the gigantic beer the Deuce has smuggled from the bar. Once they make it inside, they order the Royale with a fried egg on top, 
standing at the counter and watching the man work the grill. Food in hand, they sit on the curb and enjoy the finest burger they've ever tasted. Grease and yolk and mayonnaise on their fingers and a plate of fries resting by their side, they wash it all down with cold cans of Pilsen. Leaning on the curb and sharing a cigarette, the driver asks, Donde van? Simone gives the address of her hostel, winking at the deuce and assuring him she has a single bed built for two. They climb into the car and the driver slowly weaves through the back streets of Barranco, speaking lovingly about its poets and its painters, its sculptors and its singers. As Simone and the deuce go out in the back seat of that old VW, she unzips his pants and grabs hold of him, refusing to let go until the dawn's early light. I dig it. That was really good. <laughs> Thank you. My favorite part is actually you're pretty good, like when it came to, I don't know, like kind of singing and the voices. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how to do that. <laughs> that, that was pretty lit. I liked oh, it. Not you. a lot of people actually get like that into it. So, okay. <laughs> you're now my new favorite reading voice. Don't tell anyone else. <laughs> All right. That'll be our little secret. Is there anything else you want to like shout out to us before we end? Um,. No, I, you know what? I was going to ask you just before we, before I give a shout out, what's your all time favorite show? Best, best show you've ever seen. I'm going to say Bikini Kill. Oh yeah? Nice. Yeah. I, I think it was because, um, I was 29 and they were doing the reunion and this is the dorkiest thing ever. I decided I finally wanted to crowd surf. <laughs> I was yes. like, cause after 30, it just felt depressing. So I was like, yeah. this is my time. I got to do it. So I crowd surfed to uh, Rebel Girl, like right at the end. It was really awesome. That is phenomenal. Is there honestly a bigger rush than crowd surfing? Uh, I was terrified and also in a huge rush. Here's the stupidity of how I did it, though. I was with my friend and I had my iPhone with me yeah. and I just didn't want to drop it. So I just handed it to them, not telling them what I was about to do. <laughs> and I was like, whatever, someone get me up there. And yeah, it took them a while to find me. <laughs> Afterwards, like they had to go find security and they're like, where do you put the people who crowd surfed, please? <laughs> Did you make it to the front? Oh, yeah, I actually made it to the front and ended up in the VIP section and I smoked weed with the security guard until my friend found me. Oh, well, I mean, that has to be the best show you've ever been to. It, it really was. <laughs> I mean, amazing. come on. It was like euphoric. I was like, was that even me who did that? Yeah, it's truly an out-of-body experience. That and then also my other most euphoric experience would be Patti Smith. And I don't even know what the hell happened to me. My mind was just like outside of my body. And I was just like, this feels so amazing. Oh, that's so cool. That is so, so cool. Those yeah. would be my best. How well, about you? What's your favorite? Well, um, I, I mean, the best, sh the most euphoric one, uh, when I was d d d 16, I saw Green Day on their Dookie tour. It was like the first concert I'd been to like without my parents. It was like nine of us got on the train and went to this old, uh, it's now a hockey arena, but at the time it was like a, um, like a barn <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> saw Green Day and it was just like the most, you know, when you're 16, it just gets tattooed into your mind. And that was also my first time crowd surfing as well. You know, I never forget that moment where you, you look at the, the, some random person and give them the nod and say, put me up and they hoist you up. And it's just like, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm flying. So see, uh, I didn't even ask. I just kind of like gestured to somebody. Oh really? And like, got you. And I was oh, like, yeah. yeah, I actually like to go on YouTube videos and be like, did anyone catch it? Did anyone film me doing it? But no, I still can't see me it yet. No, I mean, I see shoes that look like mine. I was like, but I think a lot of people were wearing Converse. 
Yeah, that's a good so. look. Um, so, I mean, so that was certainly the most euphoric and the most, I mean, I remember we went back to my parents' house afterwards, the group of us, and we just sat around the kitchen table till who knows when, three o'clock in the morning, we had school the next day. We just were so amped up about what we had just seen. It's just like, oh, like our lives will never be the same. It was so rad. Um, so that was the most impactful, but then the, like the best show I've ever seen was, uh, Tom Waits. He, the last time he played Toronto was 1999. And, um, my dad and I got tickets. Um, I knew a guy, I was, I was working at the stock market at the time. And this is, you know, in 1999, you, you did not pay more than $50 for a ticket to see anyone. And, um, he was playing that night and I called my dad. I said, Hey, I know a guy who can get us tickets, but they're a hundred dollars each. And we're like, oh, that's insane. But we're like, who knows when he'll be back? So we 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 ponied up and paid a hundred this obscene price of a hundred dollars, and it was just the most amazing display of everything I've ever seen. I mean, I'm a huge Tom Waits guy, and uh, it was it exceeded everything. I it was everything I ever wanted. <laughs> it was it was just pretty unreal. I mean, I would I would pay the same amount. I would kill to see Tom Waits. Yeah. He, like, Literally, he, he I would actually play. murder somebody to see it. It was, you know, sometimes you see a show and you're like, all right, that, that's enough already. I think, <laughs> I think I'm ready to go home because it's just whatever, for whatever reason. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You've drank too much. It's so loud. That, that show could have gone on forever. I was like, I do not want this to end. It was just, he just did, you know, the upright He's piano. God. He is amazing. He is just such a, be- the songwriting and the persona and the the sort of um, barroom anecdotes he tells, like it was just everything I wanted. It was just out of this world. And my dad, who's seen, he's seen everyone. I mean, um, he's just like that was one of the best shows, one of the best shows I've ever seen. So that I'm gonna be uh, pretty jealous yeah. of you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was rad. It was uh, yeah, it was out of this world. He came he came into the show. You know, you're all sitting there, and it's so funny because. There's like half the guys there are dressed like Tom Waits. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so funny. But he came in. He didn't come on stage. He walked down the aisle from the back with a megaphone. That's how he came into the show. It was just like, oh, my God. Because he doesn't give a fuck. He's just the coolest guy in the world without trying. Um, and it was uh, it was amazing. Dear God, that is just, yeah, I, I want to be you right now. <laughs> so what, what is what's your favorite? This is a huge demarcation point. What's your favorite Tom Waits album? Ooh. I don't know. Jesus Christ. You can't limit that. Uh, see, for What's me, yours? for me, it's small change. Uh, I was yeah. going to say most listened to is closing time. It's because old shoes is one of my favorite songs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that, that was probably my favorite, like writing to songs. I actually smoked a lot of weed to that song and then would start writing. So oh, yeah. there you go. That's good. <laughs> I think it's a lot of play. Oh yeah, Definitely. And that was also when I was going through my beat era as well. Oh, yeah? I think every writer goes through that, and then later on is like, I wasn't trying to be derivative. Fuck you. Yeah, that's it, yeah. I have influences I don't even know I have. Yeah. That's so. All right. Well, oh, yeah, and just so just to shout out, yeah, the book is called uh, The Recalcitrant Stuff of Life, uh, available through Outcast Press um, on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, all those great places. So, um yeah, your um, your listeners should uh, should check it out. It's um it's it's pretty um it's a pretty cool book. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of fun stuff in there. A lot of great music references. A lot of profound um, sort of thoughts on 
you know, the, why we're here, how do we get here, and what does it all mean? So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty wild ride. Would you recommend what songs they should listen to while reading? Well, yeah, they're all mapped out in the um, in the uh, in the soundtrack. So you just you scan that QR code and listen along. It's all that's a great mix of you know Canadian um, uh, Canadian music pre two thousand eleven, and then all the stuff you would hear if you were traveling down in South America. So from that Andean pipe music to <laughs> to Dire Straits <laughs> and Queen, I mean the everything you could ever want. It's a pretty eclectic mix. You'll you'll feel like you're uh, you're on the trip. All right, shouts out, people. Listen to this book and play. Okay, read this book. Listen to this playlist. <laughs> and yeah, this is uh, awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me, Mallory. It was uh, it was an honor. I really, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, I did too. You're pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. That's. I'm sure you say that to all your guests. Well, you kind of have to, but yeah. you mean it half the time. That's right. Well, that's you know that's that's pretty good. Fifty yeah. percent of the time. Uh, awesome. All right, that was Sean McCallum. Check out his website, seanmccallum.com. Don't worry, the spelling is in the show notes, along with the link to his new book that you absolutely need to check out like yesterday. To keep up with Sean's new work and other random thoughts that pop into his head, follow him on Twitter at Sean42McCallum. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter at PodHealing and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. We just added a new section to our site where you can get a special Textual Healer t-shirt. They come in three different colors. Mine is black. I believe the one that Sean just got is black too, but we're dark and twisty and badass like that, so what are you going to do? But the choice is all yours. Be fun and pick whatever color suits you most. As for the show, we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and just about anywhere else. Subscribe, please leave us a rating and review, check out past episodes, and keep a lookout for the new ones. Thanks for listening, and keep textual healing. <laughs>